0: Today's guest is Jeff Mitchell. He is the founder and CEO of FYG Management. It's a national educational consulting firm. He has quite an eclectic career journey that includes radio and tour DJ, college admissions recruiter, curriculum coordinator, IT director, basketball coach, assistant principal, a principal, and a pastor. And he brings all of that experience to us on this episode. He now spends his time helping educational institutions and administrators create, manage, evaluate, and reform their educational programs with a specialization in educational innovation. Today, he's answering all of our education leadership questions. So let's go.
1: Welcome to the Leadership Antidote Podcast. Here's your host, Dr. Kim.
0: Good morning.
1: Good morning, Dr. Kim.
0: (laughs) How are you doing today?
1: I'm doing well. Can you hear me okay?
0: Yes, yes. Clear, clear and just perfectly clear. We're good to go.
1: Very good. Very good. I set up my podcasting equipment so that I, you could get a good sound.
0: <laughs> All right. Fancy, fancy. We appreciate you bringing your A-game to the Leadership Antidote podcast. We do. We do. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So let's, let's dive right into it. So we know that every leader's journey is unique um, and you have a really, really rich background. Uh, why don't you tell listeners a little bit about that? What, tell them a little bit about your unique experiences along your journey that led you to where you are now.
1: Wow, wow. Uh, you're, you're right. it is uh, it's pretty unique. I um so the the whole way I really got into education I must be mm, how I want to put this, it had to have been something that I didn't see that was planted in me by people who saw something that I couldn't see. Hmm. Um, and I'm, and that happens with, uh, with many of us uh, in our journeys. But so I remember being in high school and there's a, a program that we had in high school. It was called um, the uh, teacher education program. It was a pre teacher hmm. sort of program in high school. And I was in that program with a teacher of mine who became like a mentor um, over the years, and um, we've since not been in contact, but she was a big piece of it, um, of, of my journey. And I remember telling her when I was in that program, um, Miss Fredericks, I'm going to be a doctor because doctors make, um, make good money. They have uh, pretty wives and big houses and nice cars. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and she was like, well, okay, if, if, that's, if that's what you say, But you're really good at this. And she was talking about education because we went to um, elementary schools. We went to um, different places to learn about education. And they would let us teach even as 15, 16 year olds with uh, younger kids. And um, that um, class had also an organization that we were in that was called um, the Florida uh, Public Service um, Association um fpsa i ended up being the president of fpsa i ended up winning mr florida public service um, one of those years and um when i was in college still attempting trying to be a doctor um i I figured out that what i really was made to do was to be involved in education so from that i uh, took the non-traditional route in becoming a teacher um i didn't get a degree in education my degrees are in sociology and psychology Mm-hmm. Um, but then I, I did the uh, alternative route, alternative certification, pass the test and those kinds of things to learn the whole lot at FSU when I was there, um, uh, from how kids, uh, get into college, what they need and that kind of stuff. And I decided to take it to the other side of the, uh, of the desk, I, I call it. Um, so I taught a number of different, uh, social sciences, uh, became uh, an assistant principal when I wasn't looking to become one. Um, leadership <laughs> <laughs> found me as much as I tried to run from it. Um, mm-hmm. I think I think I just like being behind the scenes and working with my kids in my classroom. And um, people would always say, hey, you, um, you need to move into administration. And I would be like, nah, I'm good. Mm-hmm. Uh, but administration found me, leadership found me. Um, and then I became a principal when I kind of wasn't quite looking also. And then God moved me, um, into where I, and what I'm doing now, which is, um, consulting, um, when I kind of wasn't looking for that either, uh, Mm -hmm. just trying to help people be better in their schools and see outside of their box. So, um, all of those things, and there's a number of other things I'm sure you might have said, uh in your intro, <laughs> um, but I have a, a wide range of interests and things that I do. So that's kind of, kind of the journey uh, in education for me.
0: So, so it's always fascinating to, to speak with you. Like, I, I think this is a very important podcast, particularly for anyone with a school age child right now, mm-hmm. because education is is it's the thing that's up in the air with the COVID-19 mm-hmm. crisis that we have going on right now. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, you have parents that are literally sitting on pins and needles right now, waiting to hear what are the plans for fall. Yeah. and, yeah, yeah. And, and it's interesting because one of the things, you know, when I speak to parents and and I'm a parent myself, my listeners know Mm -hmm. we have a school age child. um, It's important to not just look at education from the single perspective of how does it impact me and Mm -hmm. my family? You know, Mm -hmm. so you have parents that are focused on, I need to get back to work. I want my children back in school. Absolutely. But there is a whole, you know, schools, are the, 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 the focal point of a community, right? Mm-hmm. So it's not just your child going to school that's affected. All of the teachers that are in the building are also <laughs> affected. And the community right. that right. you live in, are, it's affected by the school, right? right. So, so help, help some listeners to understand what could be going through the minds of school leadership right now
1: about fall. Wow. Wow. So the, um, so first of all, you know, as a school leader, myself, as a a school leader who leads school leaders and helps school leaders and schools um, all over, um, one of the first things is that we tend to many times in education, we tend to make decisions based on data, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Data or data, however you want to say it. um, We make decisions based on what we can see so that we can make the best decision and have the best probabilities. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so the the one of the big things that's happening right now with educators and educational leaders all around is they're trying to make decisions, but the data kind of quite isn't good enough yet.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, that is still kind of mush in a certain way, where um, depending on what area you're in, or um, just the fact that this is so new. Uh, You're making decisions based on what you think um, might be the best and the pressure that you're getting. Um, So you have a a number of people sitting around um, a table or in a room or virtually um, as it's happening now Mm -hmm. uh, with meetings and all kinds of things, trying to make the best decision, which is, you know, let's get make sure kids are continuing to learn. But then also one of the first things a school building has to be is safe and secure.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: If your building is not safe and secure, education can't happen. Mm-hmm. It can't happen. You cannot have kids in a place where they don't feel safe, where they don't feel secure, where they don't have great culture, and expect them to learn. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, you know, right now, even even students, kids, uh, families, they're not sure that it's actually safe and that's actually secure. And who knows when we will be sure that it's actually safe? secure. I mean, we none of us sincerely know. Um, You're a medical professional. Medical professionals yeah. even has, have know. even told us. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They, they said, You know, from the CDC to the health departments, to the World Health Organization, to the National Institute of Health, they're all saying, hey, guys, we are doing the work of researching. We're doing the work of making sure we have an understanding. But the truth of the matter is, we don't. Right? right. We just don't enough so there's a lot of people sitting around tables um that are trying to make these educational decisions that just don't have enough information um so that's why you you know parents like me and you are saying okay well what's the decision about august because hey it's about to be june and i need to know now like i need to know what happened now because i need to prepare my my kid um, they've already been traumatized for what happened from what happened earlier in this year Right. Like, yeah, we worked it out and things have, you know, smoothed out with virtual learning. Um, but it still was traumatizing to kids. Absolutely. Um, it it will continue to be, you know, I, I talk to my kids every day and, um, you know, my younger ones ask, you know, when they can go back to school. My older ones are asking, um, you know, people want to know when they can have their normal routines back. And the truth of the matter is, I'm not sure that the normal routines, um, I put that in the air quotes will Mm -hmm. ever come back um and i don't think any of us are sure of that um you know so so there's a decision um that these these school districts and these educational administrators are trying to make and they just don't have enough um they just don't have enough data to make it um but they're still trying to Um, so that's what's happening right now it's, it's a lot of, um, wait and see still. Uh, it's a lot of, we want to make this decision. And then what we're going to see, what I, what I, what I, mm, I'm kind of, I hope doesn't happen, but we're going to mm-hmm. see people just kind of push ahead mm-hmm. without knowing, um, without having any idea, just hoping that things will be what they think it'll be.
0: Mm. Why do you think they are having such a hard time with the uncertainty, with saying, you know, what we don't know. Why not say, but we're going to err on the side of caution, and let's continue. Let's plan for virtual learning for the fall. Why do you think they're afraid to say
1: that? <laughs> <laughs> it, <it's, laughs> well, a lot of it has to do with um, kind of the the pulse of who we are as a society in our country. We do a lot um a lot of what we do just in general, and especially in education, we do because of compulsion. Mm. Um, a, a lot of it is just because we have to. Um, you know, the the the, the um, United States Department of Education, you know, gives a certain um, metric that has to be met. Um, that goes down to state departments of education. They make their um, metrics that have to be met and things they want to make sure that happen. Um and all those things continue to, to kind of trickle down to the educational administrators in the buildings, at the school districts. Um, and then that stuff goes to the teachers. And the teachers have to make all of that happen. Um, and we all do that because we have to, right? That, that's really it. We're not really looking fully at what kids need, per se. It's not about what the students need. It's about what we've mandated and said that has to happen. Um, so we're going to make sure it happens. And in the course of that, that'll make sure kids get what they need. So we do we, we a lot out of compulsion instead of doing things out of compassion. Mm. And uh, that's, that's where we have to get in this. So if, if I was sitting in a room with um, uh, educational leaders of a school district or any of those kinds of things, one of the things I would say to them is we have to step back from the compulsion right the compulsion is get them all back to school get them all back going get everything back to normal we have to step back from that and we have to lead from compassion think about what's happening even if it hasn't happened in your life or um your immediate circle think about what's happening to other people in their lives lives have been disrupted Mm -hmm. Thirty million people out of work Mm -hmm. um you know, um, people have, have you know, lost their lives. People have lost loved ones. Um, and people are continuing to get sick. Um, not only that as something that we look at as compassion, but then we also have the compassion to look at our workforce. Over 18% of teachers are 55 or over.
0: hmm hmm
1: If we don't know anything about the disease, the disease has shown us something about people of a certain age range. Mm-hmm. Not only that, what we've seen in the last, you know, couple of weeks or so, that that we are seeing the disease, you know, attack kids in in a different way, right? Right. It, right. M- mutating, metastasizing, becoming different um, um, diseases in student kids that that are sincerely highly detrimental. Right. So we have to look at we have to look at it compassionately and decide we're going to do what's best for the long run and not just move out of compulsion, which is just doing <laughs> doing what we have to do because that's what people um, expect or a certain group of people expect or that's what we are supposed to do or what we have to do um, to keep our districts and our our uh, state departments of education and all that kind of stuff going. It has to be more compassion.
0: And that that's what surprises me, right? That, you know, I, I hate to use the term out of touch, but <laughs> why is there such a disconnect between policymakers and you know the ones the individuals that set the rules and the people that are actually on the ground. You know, as a parent, mm-hmm. I've watched the virtual learning and things like that. And, you know, I'm looking at it and 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 of course, you know, I was j ju- I've mentioned this to you. I was jumping out of my skin because I'm like, it's not a one to one. Stop trying to make me at the school. <laughs> You know, (laughs) and, and, and it's, you know, they've gotten better. I guess I wasn't the only vocal parent, but, um, you know, I'm just looking at it and I'm going, wait a minute, you know, literally you have children whose entire lives are falling apart. You have teachers who are scared. You know, Mm -hmm. I think of my own son's teacher. I'm like, you know, she is in that age range. Where Mm -hmm. this wouldn't be a good situation for her. Mm -hmm. Um, What, why, you know, is it really that hard to take a step back and go, okay, we're dealing with human beings. I have my, if I was, you know, put your principal Mm -hmm. hat on. Mm -hmm. I got my teachers coming in. They're probably going to be traumatized. The kids are going to be traumatized, not only from this time period, with all Mm -hmm. the, the rapid change that's happened. But also, when they get back to school, it's not going to be what they remember. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you have children with sensory processing disorders. They can't wear a mask all day. Right. They can't. They they Mm -hmm. genuinely cannot. So how do you expect what what is the expectation of the quality of instruction when you have all of those other confounding factors playing a part?
1: Mm -hmm. And, and and that's the problem. The problem is we are going to compulsively push to go back um, to our school buildings um, and expect them to be the same. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, even, even if we go back to our school buildings, they cannot be the same. You cannot go back to them and still have, um, I think of, you know, uh, clients that I have where they're high schools with, um, you know, 600 kids in them. um, You can't go back to a place that's, you know, 30,000 square feet with 600 kids in it and 57 teachers or 60 Mm -hmm. teachers or whatever it is um, and staff and expect that there won't be some sort of outbreak at some point.
0: Yes. Yes.
1: Especially if you're just going to do it status quo, if we're just going to go back and do it the way we've done it. Even if we go back and say we ramp up cleaning um right we're we're disinfecting and and um say we do all those kinds of things that um are, are saying that should be done it still won't be enough mm-hmm. it's still enough um i've seen you know uh, the i think the black light experiment on um on cnn where they show how how the disease spreads um and then when we think of kids in general how can we keep keep kids away from each other yes you know, I, I just we just can't. I mean, um, <laughs> my 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 son, uh, just when we, you know, when we uh, came the other day uh, to uh, pick up our, our great food from Chef Kyle, <laughs> uh, when when he saw uh, um, Chef Kyle, he wanted to jump out of the car and I had to be like, ah, no, get back in the car.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I know. I
1: know. <laughs> Because in his, in his mind and in a child's mind, oh, I need to hug him. I haven't seen him. I need to, You know, do those. Kind of, and they, you can't stop that from happening for them. There's no way to do that. I think I think one of the, the reasons that there's so much compulsion to go straight back to what we had before is for some reason there is a thought that virtualized distance learning, um, however people want to name it and call it, that it is not as effective as the classroom, as the actual physical classroom. And that's just, that just doesn't have to be true. Correct.
0: Correct. <laughs> it just you're,
1: doesn't have to be true.
0: You're absolutely right. I think it's, it's, people aren't used to it. And I think right. that's what makes them so uncomfortable. It's, well, how do I know? And, you know, um, I've taught courses online um, and I've taught courses face to face engagement. You just have to have different strategies and different approaches for engagement. But the first step really is to stop thinking that virtual learning is just everything that you do face to face, (laughs) but doing it virtually, like stop. I've I've had faculty, (laughs) Where I'm like, your lectures cannot be three hours long online. No. Just because your class time is scheduled for three hours doesn't mean you need to hold the students hostage online for three hours and talk to them. That's not how this works. Right. so, you know, what are some tips for, for my educators that are listening and my ed, ed leadership that's listening? What, what are some ways that they could make virtual learning more engaging?
1: Oh, that's very good. Very good. Well, the, the first thing we do... I, I think, um, is we have to all sit down. So it's what happens a lot is educational leaders and actual educational practitioners end up being like diametrically opposed to each other. Mm -hmm. Um, a lot of times when it comes to the method of meeting their goals, they, they just end up being where educational practitioners believe they've got all the answers and they don't need leaders to, to help them and guide them. And then leaders believe, oh, we got to meet these metrics and we got to do the things that, you know, all of our bosses have said we have to do. So you guys need to do it and then they just end up not being in the same arena and what has to happen now is they got to sit down together and we've got to come together to an understanding that we're going to be effective we're going to find the best ways to be effective in the classroom which means we won't do things like having an hour-long lecture Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) like we won't do that because virtually that doesn't work it's funny um well i guess i should say um um just in, in another realm, um, you know, I'm a preacher, pastor, uh, minister, and I was talking with an, another pastor um, uh, not too long ago. And I was saying, man, I was, I was looking at a couple of people's uh, sermons and services, and I was seeing people still having 45 and 50 minute sermons. And I was like, you can't do that online. You, mm-hmm. you can't do that. You've got to cut that thing in half. It's got to be 20, 25 minutes.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, I mean, and, and, and it's got to be dynamic. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> you know, that you, just, you, you, you can't do that. There's a change in our, um, in our attention spans. Mm-hmm. There's a change in, in, in what you have to do to, to hold someone's attention when you move from being in front of them, um, physically to being in front of them virtually. Mm-hmm. And, um, there are best practices and things that you do. There's, there's a, something called total physical response, mm-hmm. um, That people use when they're virtually teaching that all teachers, if they're going to do, you know, a live uh, virtual teaching that they should do total physical response means you should have props right? You should use your hands. You should ask kids to do things with their hands. You should ask them to move the cursor so that you can see it on, um, on Zoom or whatever platform you're using. There's all kinds of things that ask them to go find things in their house to use as tangibles. Use the whiteboard functions. Um, move kids into other rooms that might need different types of acceleration or remediation. Mm -hmm. There's all kinds of things that we can do to continue. And honestly, to be perfectly honest, that we can even move to a higher level in our education. Yes. Because truly, we can start to use the things that we teach in our curriculums and actually make them match what kids are learning in society. Yes. And not and not just um, some theory, but now now that kids are at home where they can actually tinker and where they can actually find things to relate to what they're doing, we can um um aid that. We can facilitate that, which is what we are as teachers anyway. They're, and this is a problem too. There are way too many of us as educators who think that we have to be pouring out of a um our bucket. So that kids can catch as much as we pour out of the bucket when truly that's not what we are as educators. We are facilitators. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we facilitate learning. We facilitate discovery. We don't give the discovery. Right. That's not that's not who we are. So those, those are, are a couple of things and, um, that need to happen and, and we can be better. In this platform. It doesn't have to be that it's worse. Um, it doesn't have to be that it's not as good. It has to be a mindset change.
0: And I, I think you hit the nail on the head, right? Because what I've as I've been listening to the different conversations, you know, that have been happening about this, you have the the digital divide has been highlighted. The mm-hmm. um, you know, people are concerned that children are going to be behind. Mm-hmm. And I'll start off with what I've said about the, the whole, this, this process has revealed, or this experience, excuse me, has revealed mm-hmm. that we were relying on schools to do too much mm-hmm. as a society. It was not fair and it was mm-hmm. not appropriate for schools to carry that level of burden in society. Absolutely. Um, and as far as and and for me as a parent, it was like, okay, what can we do as parents to step into that gap? Right. Because you know, I'm you know, I'm also a professor at a university. My husband also teaches, and 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 mm-hmm. we sit here and we're like, wait a minute. You know, at the end of the day, you these are human beings that you're working with, and there's that compassion piece that comes in, right. Um, and as far as the digital divide, I'm, I would much rather see my district pouring resources into making sure that we're ready for virtual learning because this, right. this isn't going away. Um, let's be honest, you know, and mm-hmm. even when we do have a vaccine there's no guarantee that that'll magically make everything go away. You know, <laughs> right. as, as, a, as a clinical researcher that worked on vaccine trials, I'm like, no, 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 no. Don't see it as a magic bullet <laughs> <laughs> that's going to make life go back to normal. Because well, we first got to
1: even, who says a vaccine is coming?
0: Yes. Right. So a safe <laughs> one, keyword safe, um, right you're not going to get before twelve to eighteen months, and then you have to monitor for at least another three to five years to make sure that no one suddenly grows a third arm from the vaccine <laughs> right, right so you know it's like all right, this is long term we have to shift mm-hmm. our perspective that this is long term we're we're in it for the long haul um what, what do you think leadership can do now to address the digital divide, to address some of the things that people are concerned with about students falling behind or not being fed? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What do you think they can do?
1: So, so the, the first thing I think everybody has to do, and I think I might have said this earlier, but we've got to step away um, from the idea that we are going to, that we are still working on trying to meet these metrics mm-hmm. that are set out as benchmarks, yeah. step away from them, yeah. right? Um, even when it comes to school grade, um, all those kinds of things, step away from them. All school districts and states, um, they really, should, at this point, should say, you know what, guys, we're going to take a break from trying to meet this stuff. And what we're really going to do is meet the needs of our students. Mm-hmm. Um because this, the need right now isn't just that they learn. The need, like I said before, is safety, security, wellness. Mm-hmm. Um, so so that's the first thing. And once we do that, then I think we can get to the compassionate place where we can say, okay, where, well, <clears throat> what do students need? Well, there's some students that don't have the necessary tools to, to do virtual school. So we need to, to make sure they have computers or tablets or whatever that is. Um, The school districts, many school districts, I'm not going to say all of them, but many school districts, and if not many school districts, the state um, level does. And of course, the national level does. We can, in a way, make sure that all students have a device. Hmm. It's it's, it's, when I know people are going to think, oh, my God, the money we got. We got to get past. Um, everything being about money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> there's always it's always some attachment to oh, but you know the money, even with the fact that like people have talked for years that oh well, we want educators to be better, we want them to do more, but then they won't pay them more, right right, right. And there's always an issue with the financial part of it. and I think you know of course that's just you know part of what our country is, but we got to get past that. Mm-hmm. but so every school district, every state, the the country as a whole can make sure all kids have a device. One of the things we also can do um, locally, state, or um, as a country is make sure that all kids can be connected. Mm -hmm. Um, And all that that takes is partnering with the connectivity companies. Yes. Um, Yes. A lot of them have already started to do things in their areas where they gave 60 days or 90 days of free internet or or whatever, um, you know, to, to people who needed it. Yes. Um, because there are people out there who need it. I know for some reason in our in our society, we always think, oh, well, there's going to be, you know, some people who don't need it. That'll get it. Oh, well. Right. Oh, well, if 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 what I do can more impact in a good way than those who might leech off of it. Well, then we're going to do what we can do because we'll impact in a good way. And we will do that. Um, And I think those things will ensure that there won't be such a digital divide because everybody will have what they need. But then also what the educational administrators are going to have to do is they're going to have to train, train, train. Mm -hmm. Um, And what that means is you're going to have to focus your professional development on ensuring that educators understand the tools they have in front of them and can use them effectively. Mm-hmm. They, they, they're going to have to do that.
0: I, I, um, I brought that up. I serve on the <clears throat> Principal Advisories Council for my son's school. And I brought mm. that up that I didn't know they had all this software available to them. <laughs> and I said, you know, my son knew Because Mm -hmm. when the assignments were given, when the virtual assignments were given, he knew all of his passwords. So that let Mm -hmm. me know that they're being used in school. But had I, I think, as a parent, had more of us known, it would have felt like less of a shock. Because it would have been a matter of, oh, okay, go on Epic. Okay, go on iReady. Okay, go on Verge. It would have been a part of just... A a routine that you're used to. So instead of issuing homework in paper (laughs) and pencil, you could have given a virtual assignment for homework.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. But because the teachers have been, you know, compulsively trying to meet certain metrics, they don't dive into the other stuff they have because they're just sitting at what's in front of them. The, what, what's been given to them as what's supposed to be met um, for that standard, and they're just pushing at it because that's what they've always pushed at, and I ain't got time to look at the new stuff. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know, it, it's it. you laugh, but it's also <laughs> very sad at the fact that you invested all of this money in technology that you secretly hoped you would never have to use.
1: <laughs> that's exactly it. That's exactly it. They, they invested it to have it and say, Oh, well we have that so that when they can, when they talk to somebody, they say, Oh yeah, we have that, but never invested the money and time into making sure people knew how to use it.
0: Right. Cause I think that that's what's, you know, and I feel, feel it for principals right now. I mean they mm-hmm. are catching, you know, what they are getting the business from parents, right? Oh, yeah. They they oh, are yeah. and I feel it for them. But I think it's an opportunity to say, you know what? We need to figure out how to work together in this time. Mm-hmm. Exactly what you're saying. Everybody has mm-hmm. to come together. And, you know, a, a lot. some of the, the backlash from parents is because they themselves are scared. You know, Absolutely. It's, you know, jobs, job situations are changing. Um, mm-hmm. They're watching their children hurt. You know, um, one of the things that we watched in our house was the CNN and Sesame Street town hall. Oh, and yeah, yeah. We, we are team Sesame Street in this house. And... I loved how they explained it, explained, I loved how they explained the way children process things as a parent, because as a parent, you forget what it means to be a child sometimes. And it was the most beautiful analogy. They said, you know, Think of how a child eats an apple when they're young. They they take a bite of the apple, then they put it down. They go do something else. They come back, they bite the apple. And there's actually a really funny story with my husband and and son, because my my husband didn't understand that that's the way that our toddler was eating at the time. Um, you know, like, and he made the mistake of throwing away his food one day and Blake came back for his food and was like, wait a minute, you know, where where's my food? <laughs>
1: It's happened Um, to all of it,
0: (laughs) but, but that's the way children process their feelings. And so you'll have, and I would, you know, you have moments where your child will seem like they're perfectly fine. And then another moment where they're incredibly sad or they're Mm -hmm. incredibly irritable. And it's just them taking a bite of their emotions. A little at a time. They don't process it all at once. And I'm like, they're still trying to process their emotions. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's, and I have to wonder if the parents are dealing with it the same way, processing oh, right. it in waves. Um, I
1: think no more. Yes. I mean, I know I have. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I know that. At, you know, as as we continue on, as I continue to see the actual writing on the wall, mm-hmm. as I actually see the data and what's happening, I'm doing it myself. I'm yes. processing. Yes. You know, feeling of am I really gonna let's say they do open schools up, am I gonna send my kids back to school? Yes. Um, yes. you know you know, there they're kids in in our neighborhood, you know, and, and they come out and they come out into your yards and you can tell their parents, all parents who talk to their kids because you know, they'll kinda of just stay in the yard and if we go out to get in the car, let's say we're going to the store, we see each other, we all kinda of give each other the All right, good to see you look. Um, but we're not getting close <laughs> so together. Don't come over
0: here. Yeah, <laughs> right,
1: right. You know, <laughs> um. So you know, we're all processing those things, and we're processing processing them in bits and chunks, and and um. Who knows if we'll ever fully understand what's happening? Yeah,
0: yeah. and I I think that's that's the hard part, right? Because you have, you know, anywhere from ten to thirty percent of a population adapt to change very quickly. So that mm-hmm. means anywhere from 70 to 90% are going to struggle with the change. Mm-hmm.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And and we're we're seeing that now, especially I think we're seeing it um, throughout our, the education sphere, throughout the school districts, um, in, in the states, uh, we're seeing that, you know, there, there's a struggle with them even thinking that, man, is it do, do we really is it really a possibility that we might not be able to bring these kids back to school?
0: Mm-hmm. And, and, and
1: there are some that are that you know that's in the back of their mind, but they won't tell you. They're just saying nope, they're coming back. Mm-hmm. Nope, they're coming back. That's it. Um, instead of looking at reality and sincerely processing this um, through compassion mm-hmm. and sincerely understanding. The, what's happening and what the risks are and what we should do to make sure everybody's okay.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, there, are, there are some things if I can say that I think um, you know, teachers, teachers uh, should do um, when it comes to and, and administrators should work with the teachers in doing this when it comes to school coming back and, and especially in a virtual setting this is a perfect time where each student can sincerely get an individual education plan.
0: <laughs> mm, let's go there because I've been, you know, from, from our friends that, you know, have children on IEPs, they are upset right now.
1: <laughs> but, and, and, you know, every kid right now should get an individual education plan. Every kid, not just the ones that are mandated to have them, because, because this is something that has put all of our kids in an emotional disadvantage. Mm hmm. Um, and even an educational one to start. So every kid right now should have some sort of individual education or individual learning plan. Um, and it's, and, and right now it should be easier for teachers to create those because they're not standing in front of a class all day, every day teaching them.
0: Mm, right. That's, so, that's a good way to look at it. So, so let's go ahead, and dive into that because there's already technology that allows that. So so explain to to listeners, especially for my educators, how is this possible? And also for the parents, how to advocate for this.
1: So, so because you're not standing in front of a class um, and teaching every day, all day, like you normally would, there's more time in your workday to create plans for each student to move them along the path they need specifically for their own acceleration and or remediation. Um, we have to look at them individually and it might take time to do it, but each of them can actually get one with benchmarks and all kinds of things set um, using the, the, the uh, virtual programs that you have to use because now you don't have to crunch data. You're not using your own made up tests and those kinds of things. You're, a lot of stuff you're using is giving you back instantaneous feedback. Mm-hmm. It's, it's giving it right back to you the way you can put it right down. You can watch the trends and you can work with students in different ways. The other thing is, too, you can now have real individual conversations through whatever platform you want to use with families and with students where you don't have to leave somewhere. We don't have to meet at the school. We just go onto our phone or our, our device or whatever it is and talk mm-hmm. and work through what a student needs. A teacher can give the parent what they can get to use at home um, when it comes to, you know, tangibles or whatever else is needed. Schools can send things to, to their, um, their, te- their uh, teachers and their students so that they can work with whatever pieces they need. But every kid, I believe, at this point should have some sort of, an I- and let's not call it an IEP because mm-hmm. that denotes um, SPED. Mm-hmm. Um, let's, let's say every student should have an individualized learning plan. Hmm. every student has a learning plan um, because at this point the best way that we're going to teach our students virtually is by making sure we look at them individually not just as a class so we look at them individually and make sure they get what they need individually in acceleration and remediation so that's why each of them should have an individualized learning plan i believe
0: hmm. and that's a really good point i mean you know when you look at online institutions whether it's k-12 through 12 or it's higher ed that's their model mm-hmm. that's what they work off of and so it can be done
1: mm-hmm. it's just that mm-hmm.
0: it, you're not asking for anything new to be created it's Wait. already been done and been in Wait. practice for decades <laughs> the <Yes>. technology <laughs> exists the processes exist it's yes. just a matter of shifting the mindset to embrace that change. Absolutely. That's what I see as the biggest challenge right
1: now. It is a huge. There, there has to be a huge mindset shift um, in education. We have to, we have to pivot as we keep hearing people talk about now. Um, there's, there, this is the time, and not only is it the time to pivot so that we can. We can work with our kids during this time, but honestly, we should pivot now to be more effective in education in general, yes. because we got to be honest, education over the last you know, 40 to 50 years has not changed. Yes, And it is the only, and I, honestly, we could go even further back, but it is the only industry um, that hasn't changed, that hasn't gotten, that hasn't done something different to be better Um, in the last 40 to 50 years. And yeah, there might be little things here or there, but as a grand scheme, as a whole, education has not changed. It's still the same. Um, And that's one of the reasons why uh, we haven't been as effective.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, it's some powerful, powerful nuggets. Um, And it's just, I hate to have to stop. (laughs) Yeah, but but we can't go on forever. You know, (laughs) but but no, I mean, it's really... From a coach's perspective, you know, one of the things I work with clients to understand is every challenge in front of you is all about perspective. Yeah. Is it a problem yeah. or is it an opportunity? And I think, you know, f- I've heard a lot of educators feel that, oh, I'm not going to be as effective. But hearing mm-hmm. your perspective, that no, 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 this is actually an opportunity for mm-hmm. you to be really effective. Mm-hmm. Use the technology. You know, develop individualized learning plans for your students, yeah. Yeah. and really, you know, my son, I saw him come to life with mm-hmm. it. He mm-hmm. enjoyed it, and I was like, "Why don't you do this?" And you know, because he he's shy in class, yeah. and I just think, how many children are shy in class? But mm-hmm. if you get them, he was at home. He was, you know he felt more comfortable speaking up and saying things. So it's, you know, the, the, the quality of his work was different. So for some children, this may be what can help them to reach their full potential. You have to be open to it. Absolutely. You have to be open to it. Um, Absolutely. mm -hmm.
1: Go ahead. I I just, I, there's a, a book, um, from years ago that I read that really could help with, with mindset change. And, um, you've probably heard of it before. It's called our iceberg is melting. Mm -hmm. Um, and honestly, I think I remember reading it years ago. I think every educator, especially now, um, should read that book to get a, a understanding, um, of what, what, what mindset changes need to happen uh, with what's going on. Um, because truly, our iceberg is melting. <laughs> and, and honestly, I think it's melted. Um, <laughs> but but that's—it's a great book, and um, uh, your readers, especially educators, should probably look into it.
0: Good stuff. So, please tell listeners how to get in contact with you.
1: Well, yeah, if you uh, want to get in contact with me, um, you can you can reach us at um, www dot um, that is our consulting company where we help people, uh, help entities and schools be better. We produce so you can grow um, mm-hmm. is our motto. Um, and that's, again, www.thisisfyg.com. You can email me at Jeff at thisisfyg.com. Um, and then I'm on all social media platforms as JR underscore Mitchell um, or J underscore R. So one or the other. Uh, So some of them, (laughs) some of them was already taken up when I went to go get it. So, but yeah, you can reach me there on all of those platforms, um, and you can definitely reach us at our at our um, web address and uh, email me. But we look forward to being able to help um, any educational institution, um, any educator, educational administrator that that wants a different perspective, that wants evaluation that wants management, that wants any sort of help, um, thinking outside of the box. That's what we're here
0: to do. All right. Thank you so much, Jeff. You, you've certainly, um, this has been a fun episode and, and it you've really given was. a lot of perspective that, um, I think parents, teachers and administrators alike will really benefit from. So thank you for that.
1: Well, thank you for having me. And thank you for this, uh, your podcast that you do. I've, There are so many other people on it and I'm just honored that you would think of me and and, um, I look forward to continuing to uh, listen to you uh, and get the help that you give us.
0: Yes. Thanks, Jeff. All right. Thank you. If you enjoyed this
1: episode, be sure to subscribe, share, and comment. You can also head over to www.drkimhires.com to learn about additional ways to connect with Dr. Kim. Join us next time to get another dose.